This very special bonus episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore is brought to you by our generous listener supporters on Patreon and PayPal. If you appreciate what we do and would like to join them, go to dollamore.com slash PayPal or dollamore.com slash Patreon. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us for this very special bonus episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, excited as hell, Jesse Dollamore, joined by the lovely, the talented, the hopefully somewhat equally as excited, Brittany Page. Um, I'm going to have to go with, <laughs> well, let's this say this. This is not starting off let's well. Let's say this. Let's say this. I am as excited as you. I don't think you're as excited. The difference is that it doesn't come out in a radio DJ voice. It's not a radio DJ voice. <laughs> you 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 um were playfully ratcheting it up well, just for me. Just you know, for me. What that is is my 9 a.m. cup of hot coffee in front of me I see. voice. I see. Well good. You you got Which a little maybe, excited on Dollamore. Maybe that explains like the wacky morning zoo DJs, maybe it's because it's early in the morning. Yeah. And those guys' voices are uh, like this, I guess. Well, the interesting thing is that I always felt as though I wasn't a morning person. And lately I have been feeling much more energetic in the morning well, than kinda, I am at night. You're forced to. That's true. Because your schedule kind of got, uh, what's the... What's the like country t- catty wampus or whatever the fuck? Sure, uh, <laughs> my schedule changed, but also we used to record the show often at night, and now we prefer most of the time to record it in the morning. I really do, yeah. And I, I think it's because by the time we get to like nighttime, we're just both drains. Well, it's also because I can jack myself up on caffeine. Yeah, and then you have that energy that everybody loves so much. (laughs) Do they, though? Of course they do. Do they? Yeah. So what I'm saying is, on the inside, yes, I have a lot of energy and excitement, but it just doesn't come out the same way, and that's okay. Why don't you play The More You Know? Tell your... I don't even have the sounds open right now. Wow, how excited know, are you I'm really? So how jacked up Just are you really? Right to it, everybody. Yeah, apparently not. So we wanted to I wanted to have Brian on, the guest that we're getting ready to introduce, this interview we did yeah. maybe two weeks ago. Yeah, we did. A while back. Mm-hmm. We saved it because we're gonna be going to New Orleans. And uh Brian's a longtime friend of mine, and I've always known, you know, after social media started. You, you learn about the friends. I mean, some people in the audience probably have never really lived without social media. Mm-hmm. But when you graduate high school mm-hmm. and you don't have that, you don't really know. It's like through the grapevine. You might bump into somebody, especially if you're somebody like me who lives, th- you know, 1,600 miles from the place 
I grew up or yeah, so, whatever the fuck, however far it is. Yeah. So you, you kind of lose touch. You, you don't, you can't keep tabs on the daily goings on in people's lives because Facebook wasn't a thing. Yeah. yeah right. Like, yeah. like now that like I'm on YouTube and I got the show here and you know, I'm more of a known quantity than I was, let's say five years ago mm-hmm. for people who don't know me. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's all kinds of people who know about what I'm doing now, but before social media, it probably would have been like, what? Mm-hmm. Dalmore's on YouTube. What? Well, it kind of explains my, that's kind of my philosophy on high school reunions now. Like yeah, when right. I got the high school reunion message, I thought, why is this necessary when right. I, like, I know right. all about all of your lives because... I'm on Facebook. Yeah, I don't need to know all about your kids because of all of the sharenting you do <laughs> on the social media. There's like a lot of information I already know, you know. I've seen all of the kids back to school photos. Mm-hmm. A lot of them. More than I would have hadn't I had social media. Well, and we just had Halloween and Facebook was going hard with the algorithm because I would open my Facebook to check to see if there was like something new in the news or whatever and it would ju- it was recycling the same Halloween posts. Like, excuse me, you haven't liked these. <laughs> so, proceed with the liking of yeah. the photos. Sometimes I feel like that with social media too. Um, like you said, it, excuse me. Yeah. Are you sure you saw this this person in this costume and this other person in the same costume. And proceed with the liking. Right. You must engage with this content. Yes. Yes. We could just do the show on this, by the way. This is a topic <laughs> right here. I, I feel the frustration building. No, no. So anyway, I want to get to the interview. This is a guy I was friends with in 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 junior high, high school, and he became um, what I would consider a prolific writer. He's written a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Super modest guy, very smart, writes in the horror genre. And I think this interview is is could be instructive for people who who have that creative outlet or talent to want to to write. Right. It's like how do you get into it if you're if you're a dude from a small town in Idaho? How how do you get into that? Yeah. How do you come up with the ideas? Even I mean that's. Like, I wish I was creative. Mm-hmm. And every time I say that, people will go, you're creative. And like, I'm not fishing for compliments. I really wish I had that level of creativity. Yeah. Anyway, let's get to the interview. Let's do it. So, Brittany, did you ever have a friend that you had like a very intense portion of, of your childhood that you were very good friends with them? Uh-huh. And then it just kind of faded away you didn't have a falling out you didn't like maybe they moved away maybe they still live there but you just weren't very good that great of friends with them anymore Mm -hmm. and looking back when you're an adult you think well well whatever happened with that uh absolutely it's like asking me if i've ever been a child before (laughs) that's just a life experience that people have correct well that is what happened with me and Brian Knight, mm-hmm. our current guest. Brian, thank you for joining us, brother. Well, thank you for having me. So, what, <laughs> what did happen? Did, oh. did you? We're in the same class, right? I mean, did you did you uh, leave our hometown of Orfino, or or did I just fall headfirst into into Jesusism and uh, ignore all of uh, my previous friends? 
Well, we were in the same uh, class. We had a lot of the same classes together. We hung out constantly. I know you were over at my house a lot. Um, what happened was my dad was killed, and I ended up having to move. So you, di- you did end up moving? Yes, I moved over to uh, Lewiston, just down the river. I had no idea Wow, that your dad we, had died. We had had just a minor minor falling out right before then and it's the kind of thing i think given a couple more weeks and the start of the new school year we would have uh been friends again just fine yeah but it happened to ha- it just happened right in that time period where we weren't speaking mm. I, that's I, a bummer yeah i don't uh, i don't remember um even a falling out i'm i'm that was a time in my life where i was the full Full Monty with with the that youth group and that odd culty thing going on over there, and uh, I think it was easy to abandon certain friends if they weren't a part of that particular crowd. Mm. And probably a lot easier for your sanity too. You, if you're into something that deep, you got you kind of got to abandon everything else to avoid the cognitive dissonance. Yeah, y- yeah, that's I, fair. I wouldn't have put it that way then. <laughs> <laughs> But, but that, that is certainly the way it is. Yeah. Oh, trust me, I am well acquainted with irrational, uh, irrational opinions and views. I, I've, I've held many of them myself. Did um, well. First of all, we're going to introduce Brian as uh, someone. Obviously, we're, we already spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. Somebody I grew up with, but also somebody that I. Not not super recently, but relatively recently in my life, realized is a pretty prolific writer, and you've done a, 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 just a shit ton of uh, genre writing mm-hmm. in horror. Mm-hmm. And it didn't surprise me that you were creative. It didn't surprise me that you were successful, uh, and it also didn't surprise me what genre you picked because you were the guy who was like kind of mild-mannered guy, but we were, to me, especially when I was into the Jesus thing, the super crazy evangelical youth group I was in. You thought that Brian worshipped Satan? No, 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 no. He was like Jehovah's Witness kid, but you were like super into heavy metal. Mm. I think you were the guy who introduced me to like uh, Metallica, whatever that album they did where (laughs) it was like the Garage Band or whatever. Garage Band, uh, Garage Days re-revisited. It was... uh, Five songs done by uh, old punk bands that Metallica covered. Uh, they were breaking in their new bassist with that album because their previous bassist had died. And it's still my favorite of theirs. Yeah, see, this is, he's like heavy metal guy. <laughs> and and somehow you are equating an interest in heavy metal with um, writing horror stories. Well, no, because in the, in, in the 80s, heavy metal was like, uh, there w- were some bands who really they made it a gimmick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some well, of those Metallica covers were pretty hardcore. Hmm. Yeah, my favorite was Alice Cooper, and he was always that way. He was into some spooky shit. His uh, stage show was uh, like a, a Broadway horror movie hmm. kind played of like, up on the stage. Kind of like Ozzy biting the head off the bird on stage. Is what we're talking about? <laughs> yeah, that's actually a pretty funny story he thought that that was a rubber bird that somebody threw it was a bat actually so oh, somebody threw it on stage he thought it was a rubber one so he bit the head off 
Ooh, that is yeah. not a nice surprise. Fucking no. Ozzy. <laughs> he was probably so high he didn't even realize it until afterward, though. Yeah. Or maybe still yet. <laughs> <laughs> so how how did you land on horror? I mean, Jesse's kind of um, extrapolating things from your, your interests growing up. But how, how did you choose that genre? How did you land on it? I have always been interested in spooky stuff. It's just kind of the way I was built, I think. Um, my first horror movie that I remember is uh, Michael Caine, The Hand. I remember that when I was young enough to really not remember much else about my life. Um, I've always enjoyed scary movies, and when I started reading, I went straight to scary stories. So that's just the way I was built. And you've written a lot of stuff. I've written a fair amount, not near as much as I should, given I've been publishing for around 20 years. Mm -hmm. There was a, a good five, six-year chunk of time where I haven't really done much, and I'm just starting again. Are there misconceptions that people might have about the genre of horror? Like maybe preconceived notions that people have that they might be wrong about, something they might be surprised to learn about horror? Horror uh, is a very conservative genre. Mm. It's a very reactive genre. Um, if you go back and, and, and read some of the stories, the lessons that, uh, it, that they try to teach. One of my favorite movies is The Exorcist. Yeah. And on its face, it's a scary, scary movie. It's a horror movie. You dig a little deeper, though, and you'll find that it's a propaganda film about Catholicism. <laughs> doesn't stop me from liking it i still love that movie but you mean a prop a pro catholicism propaganda piece oh absolutely how absolutely so, how, how so how so uh well the heroes are the priests and it, pre it presents the the demonic possession of this uh this child as a thing that actually happened it even says based on real events hmm. which it kind of was but really not anywhere close to the, course, the story yeah. that they present. Um, I mean, after all, you know, demons and all that, that's fictional. That's all fake. That's yeah. That's a, <laughs> and the way it's presented. It's a very Catholic, very Catholic demon. Uh, no. And by the way, I, I'm only assuming that you believe all of that's fake. Oh, I, I, I'm not. <laughs> I, am I, am I correct in that assumption that you're on board with that? You are correct. Okay. I have, given up all those uh all those beliefs years ago i still call them superstitions so uh, they, you, they are superstitions you you uh you grew up a jehovah's witness as i remember right i grew up in a jehovah's witness family okay i never really bought it myself um my mother and my father divorced when i was very young and they kicked my mother out of the religion yeah. We're getting a divorce. My father, they kicked him out too. He asked to be let back in. And so they let him back in. Oh, wow. My mother was a little bit too proud for that horse shit. So she stayed out. Good for her. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very proud of my mother. Um, and so I was in a strange position of believing what they taught, but being pissed off enough at them and at a God who would not let my mom go to heaven with the rest of the family that I just didn't care. Mm. They, uh, 
I think it may vary a bit from region to region what the witnesses believe. Um, I know some in some places they say that cats and dogs will go to heaven with you. In some places they say that they don't. But my understanding of it is that they do not believe in hell. You just cease to exist. Hmm. That's not a bad so, deal. That's not a bad deal. No. <laughs> it's, well, there, there are a few ways in which I think uh, the J-dubs are a little less damaging than most other religions and one of them is that they firmly believe that they should not be involved in politics at all i'm assuming that's still what they believe that was always what was uh, presented to me when i was a child hmm. so i was in a family that was mostly jehovah's witness and i went to their their sunday meetings and i believed in most of it but i didn't really follow any of it i was just kind of done with it i went along so i had to how relevant are the experiences that you had in the church to your writing now? Are they influential at all? Oh, I, th I think part of the reason that I really identified so much with uh, scary stuff was because I spent a lot of my childhood scared. Mm. I was scared that when I died, I was not going to go to heaven with the rest of my family. Yeah. Because I refused to, uh, to go without my mom. And so I, I believed what they were preaching. I just believed it wasn't for me. So, yeah, I spent a lot of, a lot of time scared of God. It does put, and it's something we've talked about on the show, maybe hundreds of times. Yeah. But it is, to a degree, religion can absolutely be a form of child abuse in that way. That you're really just inflicting needless harm, needless fear, needless anxiety on a kid. I got off lucky. I believe that I got off very lucky. I know people who had much harder childhoods with much worse families. Now, my, my family, I love them to death. I think they were a good, good family. Uh, they were, they believed some, some batty, wacky shit, and they tried to make me believe it too. There are other families who have abused their children terribly in the name of religion. Yeah, there's. I mean, we've talked about some of the practices of Jehovah wit Jehovah's Witnesses as far as disfellowship is concerned. Or J Dubs, yeah. as Brian as, says. As Brian said, I think that's, that's maybe that's uh, just a regional colloquialism because we used to <laughs> I, call them J Dubs really? too. Yeah, I, ha I haven't ever heard that. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like calling uh, Latter Day Saints Mormons. They don't like it, but it's what people do. Do you yeah. remember Mormons not being liked to be called Mormons even when we were kids? Because that's I, I I still think that's a new development. It's a it is a new development. They they made this change. You know they're always changing shit in that church, but they <laughs> they made this change not too long ago. And I got a, a pair of them at my door one one night. Well, they, the, they do they do travel in pairs, Brian. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, oh, I know that. Uh, your I even have a too. funny little recording of them getting pissed off when I called them Mormons. I wow. said, no, I'm not interested. And they said, you don't even know what we're saying. going to say, I said, you're Mormons. That's all I need to know. Also, you, I live where I live, meaning you, you, it's not like you're not around Mormons. They're, they're all over the place. Oh, we get, we get a knock on our door from a couple of, of Mormons at least once a month. I think we've had 
maybe one visit. No, I think it's been like three. Yeah? Yeah. Um, but huh. I will say that we enjoy when they come over, actually. Um, and we um, like to invite them in and, you know, give them something to drink, like ice water. Um, they don't drink other things. And um, Once a month would be more. That would be three times in 10 years is a novelty. Once a month is like, all right. We get it enough. No, absolutely. But you you do enjoy having the discussions oh, with them. I That's used something to, that for you sure. enjoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you used to. Well, I mean, I don't know if I would anymore because the God question isn't as important to me as it used to be. Yeah. When you were talking about how often we talk about religion on the show, it's really declined in yeah. recent yeah, yeah, yeah. years, I would say. It, for me, you know, the damage and the existential crisis that 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 Trump presents mm-hmm. is more important and ready mm-hmm. than whether or not there's a, you know, a, a judgmental, you know, totalitarian God in the sky. Yeah. Well, okay. So we're hearing from Brian that some <laughs> of his influences have been the J-Dub um, upbringing, those influences, um, growing up with fear. Are there influences when it comes to your writing, Brian, from present day, like the things Jesse's talking about, Trump or um, oh. just current events? Do you work those things into your stories as well? I had a great idea for a novel in 2016 that I was going to start as soon as the election cycle was over. And it was going to be a what if, an alternate universe, what if Trump actually won the election and how quickly would the nation just go to total shit? And then he won. (laughs) So, well, let me ask you. Oh, God, that's not funny now. So, so some of the ideas that you had ginned up in, in preparation for writing the book. How how fantastical were they compared to the reality we're living? Uh, yeah, some of the scenarios I imagined are actually a little a little bit worse than what we're actually dealing with now. You because are a horror the, writer, after all. Well, yeah, part of the story <laughs> involved Trump being impeached within a year, Pence taking over, and then turning America, the United States, into a total uh, theocracy, into a total theocracy. And that, that was where the story was going to go. Trump was going to be the opener, the opening stupidity. Uh, a la, and then it was a yeah. la kind of Mar- Margaret Atwood. You know, yeah, the, and the, the, then the, it was going to go downhill really quickly once Pence took over. And I, I still feel like that could happen. <laughs> oh, you, you like, uh, like The Handmaid's Tale. Yes. We, we, we go from like a, a real horror situation to, you know, the... What what are the names of the group? The Brittany, help me out. I don't know what you're talking about. The, the, in the red dresses and the the handmaids, the handmaids, and the, the uh, don't they all have different names? Um, the, Marth, of, um, the Marthas and like the Offred. Uh, of Fred, um, if their master is named Fred, then they would be of Fred. If uh, yeah, their master was Dave, they would be of Dave. Of Gary. <laughs> yes. So I Jesse keeps saying that you write horror. Would you say you only write horror or are there other things that you write too? Because I know your website and your, your Facebook page is the fiction of Brian Knight. Um I write horror, I write some uh action crime stuff about a, a guy who's a bouncer, bounty hunter, a repo man. And I have a trilogy of uh young adult to early adult fantasy novels that, well, they're not selling as well as I'd hoped, but I had a good time writing them. 
That's really what matters, right? Well, well I decided I decided to write them for my daughters so that they would have something that they could read. And by the time I had gotten them all written and published, they were adults and they were reading my horror stuff. Mm. Right. And what uh, all your stuff's on Amazon, right? Yes. Anything that's still available is on Amazon. It's fucking. I wish this is the thing with with like writers and people who are creative is I am like endlessly envious of people who are super creative and can write prolifically. And I would say that anybody who writes multiple books, you write a trilogy of anything that's prolific writing. And I just, it takes a lot of discipline. Well, it's also you're relying upon whatever is in an inspiration. What is it for you that, that, that gets in you to inspire you to endeavor on that kind of a creative journey? I get an idea for something and I, if the idea goes away after a couple of days and if I can ignore it, then it's not worth writing down. And if it, if it keeps coming back to me and I keep, the idea keeps growing in my head, then that's a story worth, uh, worth putting down. It's, uh, it's, I'm entertaining myself essentially. <laughs> so, and hoping to entertain others. So, so when you start writing, is it, uh, like how often does it happen that you start down a path relative to the plot or whatever that you you abandon that? You've written a whole bunch and you're like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go in a different direction. That happens quite a bit. I'll start something. I'll think it's going to go a certain way and the characters will, and I know it sounds cliche, but the characters will take it in a completely other direction. And if that's where they're wanting to go, that's where I let them go because you know, they're in the story. They know they know better than me. So it requires a, a decent amount of flexibility, too. And, and you may have an idea of where you want your writing to go. But sometimes it's about getting in there and actually seeing what happens when you start. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's different. Every writer is different. Some people outline everything. They know step by step what's going to happen from beginning to end. And there is no variation. There is no deviation. Some people go completely by the seat of their pants. They start with an idea. They don't know anything else. Mm-hmm. And I'm somewhere in the middle. Okay. So some planning, but not like a full outline? Usually not a full outline. And it, if I do a full outline, if I've got if I've got it in my head how exactly it's going to go and how exactly it's going to end, it'll almost always change. Mm. Well, and because I'm not... Um... One, I'm not a, I'm not a big fiction reader, but have, so, so th- I'm giving myself an out having not read a bunch of your stuff is what I'm doing here. <laughs> do you, Understood. Do you, is, is a lot of your stuff like straight horror, like, uh, like deranged escape mental patient stuff, or is it like spiritual? Sorry, Brittany. Mm-hmm. Brittany, you know, the clinician who works in a locked psychiatric hospital mm-hmm. got, she made a face when I did that. I did. Or is it, or is it like it's demons and spiritual shit? Uh, it really varies from story to story. I've got one novel that's about the boogeyman. And for this one, I, I went... Like the literal boogeyman? The literal boogeyman. I went back into uh, a lot of old folklore, mostly from uh, Ireland, about what the uh, what they were afraid of, the boogeyman. And I went off of that. So I have... Uh, a novel about the uh, 
supernatural boogeyman. Hmm. I have another story about about a uh, a hobo or not a hobo, uh, a guy that lives in the woods. Lived in the woods since he was a child, who uh, kills people whenever they get too close to him. Kind of like uh, kind of like Jason in the Friday the Thirteenth movies. Hmm. There's nothing supernatural in that one. Um, I've got my Butch Quick stories. Now, Butch Quick is the Repo Man and a Bounty Hunter that I told you guys about. There's nothing supernatural in those. Hmm. It's just, it varies from story to story. Some of them are supernatural. Some of them aren't. Yeah. So I'm hearing varied influences, um, varied interests from you. Um, and you, you said you've been writing for 20 years, right, you said? I've been publishing for about 20 years. Publishing for 20 years. Sorry. Writing for probably much longer than that. 21 yes. at least. Yeah. At least 21. <laughs> 21 at least. Um, so that's a significant amount of time to be practicing your craft and honing it. Um, writers are always asked for advice that they would give to other writers. I'm wondering what would be the advice that you would have for other writers? For other writers, yeah, I would say find a more successful writer and ask them. Uh, what? Um, <laughs> well, you're you're all we got right now, brother. So, what would you say? My advice would be write a lot, edit a lot, learn to edit your stuff, learn to take criticism. Mm. If you're going to uh, sure, send your work out into the world for people to read and critique or for people to consider for publication, you got to develop a thick skin because people are not always going to like your stuff. And sometimes your stuff is going to be crap. Sometimes it's not going to be worth yeah. them responding to, and they may do you the favor of responding anyway. Yeah. Some, especially in the beginning. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, how, how did you do that? How did you develop your thick skin? How did you come to a place where you're able to accept that constructive criticism and change your writing when necessary? And, and don't say that it was when Jesse stopped being friends <laughs> with me. That would break being, my heart. <laughs> it, was being, it was being dressed down by uh, potential editors, people that asked me for work, people that I submitted work to. And generally, they're pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Editors are looking for a good story. They want to like your work. Yeah. And if they're taking the time to critique it or to give you advice, that means they see something there that's worth trying to save yeah. or worth uh, worth cultivating. Now, the, the rudest comment I ever got from an editor was at, was in an acceptance where he accepted a story and told me that it was crap at the same time. Mm. Editors are, they're all different. They're, just like anybody else, you're going to meet some that are horrible, horrible, nasty people. And But most of them, they want the same thing that you want. They want a good story just to, to send to their readers. Is is writing and getting something published kind of like, you know, the, the ongoing uh, paradox of getting a job? You can't get a job until you get experience and you can't get a fucking experience until you've gotten a job. Is, is getting published one of those, like, right place at the right time things? Like, how did that work out when you, your very first time you actually got something published? I'm, I'm assuming self-publishing wasn't really as a, a major thing when, when you started. Um, no. What, what was the, what was the secret sauce the first time you got published? 
I just fumbled my way into it. I was new to the internet. Uh, my wife insisted on getting it. I thought the, the internet was for freaks, geeks, and losers. But <laughs> after playing around on it a little bit, I discovered, oh, there are writers here. There are magazines that, that, that are web pages. I love that. I love that you you found that there was magazines there, and I yeah. I learned that there was porn. Ah. <laughs> Different priorities. Different priorities. Oh, there's money to be made here. Oh, masturbation. Not a lot of money. To, well, I don't know about porn, but not in writing. There's not a lot of money to be made. But I found magazines. I found uh, there are online magazines where it was all page. I found. Uh, paper magazines where they had guidelines listed online and I started submitting and I've actually, I started lower than I should have. You always want to want to start high, aim high, aim for the best market out there, aim for cemetery dance or what is that? Aim for gauntlet. Cemetery dance is a, a magazine. It's been around for a very long time. One of the very few surviving horror magazines. Most of them are gone now. Hmm. And you and can 20, you, you you can submit like short stories there or how to, how's that? What is that? Well, you read their guidelines, they'll tell you what they're looking for, when they're looking for it, how they want it formatted very precisely. You have to follow the guidelines. That's very important as you follow those guidelines. If they see that you've done something against the guidelines right off the bat like not formatted in a certain font size or font type, or put your phone number and name up on the left-hand corner, they might just toss it because they've, they've gotten four or 500 submissions for one magazine spot. Yeah. I'm uh, my best friend and I wrote a screenplay mm -hmm. and we were meticulous about formatting because that's something that's, that's written about in all of the how to write a movie bullshit. All it's because there's, if you're going to if you're going to overlook the details that the industry has decided matter, what other fucking details are you going to overlook relative to story structure and everything else? Yeah, they see you doing sloppy work right off the bat and they figure, okay, we'll move along to the next person who can maybe follow some instructions. Yeah, and no, maybe and he has listen, a little bit more pride. I, I think there is some of that. Sh some of that's, that's kind of a pain in the ass, but some of that, eh, I think there's some merit to it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there absolutely is. Um, unfortunately, like I, I mentioned earlier, when I started out, there were a lot of online magazines, a lot of web pages that were magazines that paid uh, a couple pennies a word, uh, basically chump change just so that you could get a semi-professional credit. There are some were some that paid professional rates, which is still laughable. A professional rate, I think, now is seven cents a word yikes it's it's laughable and it's not gonna get any better in fact it's getting worse because most of the markets have dried up and gone away well does that does that like concentrate the talent that's there or what what does that do for the the, the genre in general what what does that do for horror in general well for horror in general i don't I don't really know that I've got an answer for that because people have gone to uh, self-publishing. Yeah. Um, I That was one thing I promised when I started out. I will never self-publish. I 
just it was something I was, it was a line I was never going to cross. And of course now I'm self-publishing all of my backlist. Mm. Why was it a line for you? Because I needed somebody who knew what they were doing, a professional to look at my work and give the nod and say, okay, this isn't crap. This is worth printing. And Mm. I wasn't going to make that decision on my own. Now, almost everything that I, that I have, uh, self-published now is stuff that was previously published by a small press publisher or a medium press publisher Mm -hmm. that you would still own all the rights to and be legally able to do your own thing with it stuff that's gone out of print so i've brought it back into print how much have you what what's the number like of uh books how many novels have you written oh novels uh Whatever the whatever the method, uh, whatever that whatever the label is, like how many pieces have you written? Uh, I'd say maybe ten novels. I'd have to maybe ten novels, uh, three collections. One of them is an omnibus of uh, novellas, but I call it a collection. Uh, probably a dozen or more uh, novellas that are just published on their own. That's uh. Uh, a, a novella is is about it, it's longer than a short story, shorter than a novel. A lot of writing, yeah, for sure. A lot of inspiration, yeah. For as long as I've been doing it, there should be more, but yeah, it's a fair amount. Yeah, but I mean, you still have a life, and you work a job, and I mean, it's not your it's not your full time gig, right? No, it is not. So, goddamn, that's a uh, it's a lot. Has the internet helped you um, reach? an audience with your your book create a following of people that um maybe engage with you with your stories engage with um other people who are reading your stories you know what about 10 years ago i actually had kind of a nice following and then i got sick of the whole thing and i quit writing for a little bit and honestly uh the implosion of uh small press uh publications there used to be very healthy small press uh out there that made sure that all the all the good stuff and even a lot of the bad stuff was out there and available to people i want to say around 2008 during the uh recession was when a lot of the good the good small press publishers started to go away the one that i was working with uh, delirium books was one of the one highly regarded small press that unfortunately went away and that was where most of my readership was yeah definitely one of the downsides of uh the economic downturn of that era for sure yeah well especially with uh, a limited edition market which is what that was they were uh, published three to five hundred copies only in expensive hardcover format and when you're losing a lot of your income, you're going to buy groceries or you're going to buy this expensive book. You know, you've got enough money for one. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was the the case for that's when newspapers, the, the real downturn in newspapers started. That's when the downturn in magazines, glossy magazines started. Print all, all yes. over started really suffering. 
because of the, yes. the economic downturn in 2008, the, the Great Recession. And people are still very attached, though, to owning books, physical books. I know that the e-readers and e-books, those things have become more popular in recent years, but many people still have um, like a romantic attachment to holding a physical book in their hand and, and reading it and turning the pages. I'm um, one. I'm one. Yeah, so I don't think that that has completely gone away or that the interest in that has gone away. And I think that that's a a hopeful thing, (laughs) hopefully, for people who are wanting to create and um, maybe even self-publish their own material and and get their stuff out there. Do do you have, Brian, um, eBooks? Do you do that as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got my stuff available in all the formats, uh, PDF, PDF. uh, Kindle or the generic EPUB, which is what all the other store formats use. Uh, so Barnes and Noble, Kobo, Apple, iBooks. Um, yeah, anywhere you go to buy an ebook, you'll find my stuff there. That is a, a bunch of names I don't even know about. So. I know Barnes and Noble. Well, we don't even, you and I, there's not an ebook reader in the house. We have iPhones, but who's going to read a fucking book on their iPhone? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, Used to read a lot of stuff on my uh, on my iPhone or my iPad. I, I read more paperbacks now. And the funny thing is, is that you'll a lot of people think that it's the kids who are buying the eBooks and the old people that are attached to their paper books. But the the, the kids that I know all prefer a paperback format. So I think that's why the paperbacks are starting to make a, a comeback. Well, also, uh, for the older people, um, not to make any generalizations, but you can also increase the text size, which is yes. very helpful. Yeah, like when, like when Rudy Giuliani's on Fox News and turns his phone around to the screen mm-hmm. to say, oh, they're texting me. Mm-hmm. It's like the giant You can just see two font. letters. Yeah, it's like th- three words on the front of his iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a severe old, old people text right there. Yeah. So that is a that is a handy feature, yes. Yes. Um Brian, do you read the and consume the same um types of stuff that you like to write or do you read something different as a form of of escape? I like uh I like horror, I like uh some fantasy, I like some crime, I like some science fiction. Most most of what I've read in the past several years has been uh science books. Hmm. So, I so nonfiction, a, like just nonfiction. Educational yeah, I developed stuff. a well, I developed a real fascination with science after reading Carl Sagan's *The Demon Haunted World*, thinking it was something else entirely. I had no idea who <laughs> Carl Sagan was. Right. Found this book, thought, "Ooh, this looks spooky," and uh, it kind of was in a way. But that was where my uh, where my turn to rationalism actually started, which is um, getting off of the writing thing kind of um how is that for you because you live in in an in a in an area of the country you live in western washington eastern north idaho you live in an area where i would consider rationalism not uh not a real stronghold you probably see several maga hats in the wild on a weekly basis Oh, I see MAGA hats, and my absolute favorite are the big American flags with Trump's face plastered right in the middle of it. Oh, fuck. Thank God I've never seen one of those. Oh, I, I see them all the time, and they make me want to vomit. So what? how is that for you? Because you do live in 
you live in Trump country where we grew up, right there where <laughs> it is goddamn, it is non-thinking, and especially, like, we just talked about it on our last episode, um, 549 of the show, our regular episodes, that Donald Trump kind of initiated this this unwashed, un un uneducated mass of voters who don't really care or understand American politics. They just know that Donald Trump stirs something within them. And those people that I'm talking about are the people with whom we grew up. They are now our peers age-wise. And they are, you know, that's, that's the population where you live. How the fuck do you deal with that? Uh, I'm a misanthrope. I don't leave my house. Huh? (laughs) I found that most of the people who I actually know um, are 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 not that way. Most of the people who I actually know and interact with have a pretty pretty similar uh, ideals to me. Um, so it hasn't been a huge issue. What was really when it really got bad was during the uh, during the election when when everybody was out there campaigning really hard. My Bernie bumper stickers would uh, really, really rile up Trump supporters. <laughs> I bet. Like you would have face to faces or what? Oh, they would pull up alongside of me and scream out the window at me and shake their fists and yell and Trump rules and uh, you know how they are. Yeah. Donald Trump. Donald, Donald Trump, baby. <laughs> I don't have the 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 it open. Unfortunately. <laughs> Well, how about this? How about I offer up a pitch for you? And this is free. You can take it or leave it, whatever you want to do. Um, but Donald Trump, baby! You, there it is. You found it. And <laughs> you ruined my pitch. I'm so right now, in the middle of it. Give the pitch. Give the pitch. <laughs> okay. So here is a horror story idea. It could be called Boogie Wonderland, based on the Earth, Wind, and Fire song, oh. Boogie Wonderland. And mm-hmm. it could be like... Um, a disco boogeyman. Yeah. <laughs> A disco boogeyman or like a zombie Studio 54 situation. Okay, you may be sorry that you pitched that to me because the last person who made a joke pitch to me got a story about him. Okay, well, as long as it's something related to Earth, Wind, and Fire, I'm pretty excited. (laughs) Okay, I'll tell you what, you'll be the first to read it when I finish. All right. (laughs) Well, listen, Brian, it has been... And really, seriously, how fucking long has it been since we've spoken? 30 years. I was actually thinking about that earlier today, and it has been 30 years. 30 years. What a nice little reunion and coming together to chat. Well, I mean, we've been friends on the Facebook yeah. for a long time. Yeah. And but it was nice to get to talk to you again. Yeah, well, it's actually speaking, and actually even more, I think more importantly, identifying with someone, because... I don't think there's many of us who grew up where we grew up who identify politically even or in the way we do. I don't I'm not saying that you're in lockstep with me or I with you, but there's not a goddamn chance that the the majority or even a a large minority of the people we grew up with uh stand where we stand politically. Well, I didn't stand where I stand politically 10 years ago. Hmm. I was, uh, well, define that. What do you mean? Okay. When, uh, when you knew me, when we knew each other, I was, uh, not a big Reagan fan because my dad wasn't a big Reagan fan. 
Um, I didn't know much about politics. I just knew he did not like Reagan, so therefore I did not like Reagan. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Clinton was president. I didn't like him because I thought he was sleazy. Uh, I still don't like him because he yeah. is sleazy. I'm not a giant fan of rapists, so proceed. He, yes, <laughs> he was he was uh, victimizing a young woman. Yeah, under his who who was who worked for him. I didn't like that, and so after that, I actually became a Republican. Got a little bit more politically active. Supported W for his first. His first term, um, his second term, not so crazy about him, and he turned me back into a Democrat. So I changed. I saw things differently. I grew. I changed. I had. I. I developed different priorities. I think I got a little bit more empathy now than I did when I was younger. Yeah, that's good to hear. So people, so people change. Yeah, and no, I'm holding out hope for I, our peers. I have certainly. Uh, I have. I'm not holding out. A, a similar hope as you, but I, uh, I, I do know that people change because I have changed, and I was always a, a, a an ardent conservative because I was raised an ardent conservative. My parents are still ardent conservatives who were Trump delegates in Cleveland at the Republican National Convention. I, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm a free thinker though, and it, and it's it's clear to me that you are. Like I, I won't hold it against anybody who who chose George W. Bush over Al Gore. Um, I did too, and that's not the reason I wouldn't hold it against him. But uh, you know, I'm embarrassed of my second vote for George W. Bush. But people grow, and I, yeah, I really hope that leaving the Trump era, that we're going to be able to to usher ourselves into a new era where we're not so quick to dismiss one another because of disagreements about politics. It's been a it's been a very very ugly couple of years. I'm hoping that once he's out of the picture, things will calm down and we'll be able to to speak to other others again like real people. Yeah, and maybe maybe you'll get another horror book out of it, brother. Mm. Oh, I'm actually working on one that uh, <laughs> it's it's uh, has a, it owes a lot to the current climate. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> All right, no spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers. Well, good. Well, listen, where can people find you? I know you're on uh, your your website is Brian with an I, Brian-Knight.com. Knight with a K. You're on Facebook, author Brian Knight. Mm-hmm. And you're on Twitter, we talked, and you said you're, you don't even use it. You really should get on the Twitter. It's a good, good time. At... I at, check it every now and then. <laughs> at thinking bar mm-hmm. like you're thinking bar and uh your books can obviously be purchased give me a give me a rundown of where people can buy your buy your stuff they can uh, find the links right there on brian-knight.com um you can find me on amazon barnes and noble kobo kobo's big mostly in canada and overseas in europe uh, iBooks, anywhere you buy, anywhere online that you buy books, you'll find me. That is fantastic. Very nice. Well, listen, I, I appreciate you, Brian Knight. You, you were, uh, you were influential to me growing up, whether you know it or not. And, uh, 
I'm I'm glad to have had you on the show. I'm glad that we reconnected on the Facebook mm-hmm. and that we actually can, you know, move forward having a relationship that's uh adult and and steeped in reason and respect for one another. Absolutely. <laughs> well, as a avid listener to I doubt it, it's an honor to be on. So, thank you for having me. You are awesome. Yes. So there you have it, mm-hmm. Brian Knight. Yeah, the talented writer of horror. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that, and I I hope that people listening to it enjoyed it as well. I I think there are a lot of people out there who are working their regular job, going about their regular routine, thinking, "I want to do something else." Right. I want to maybe do a creative job. I I have goals and aspirations outside of this work that I do every day. How do I go about fitting that in to this picture? And I think a lot of tools have popped up to help people do that. Social media is certainly one of them so that you can access a community, grow a community, have a community of people that are interested in whatever it is that that you want to do. Um, also, Patreon has helped so much. Yeah, I think so. With allowing people to support creative endeavors so that people can do those things that have them feeling happy and fulfilled. Which isn't something we talked about, but that's something, Brian, Brian, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's something you should check out, brother, is is Patreon. Mm-hmm. That could be a great way to build a community around what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like when I used to lecture at the college every semester about podcasting. Yeah. I don't do that anymore. I stopped being asked, oddly oh. enough. Oh. <laughs> I'm too busy. Okay. But I used to tell the, 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 I always want to say kids, but it was mostly adults. If you want to start a podcast, you don't have to do something general. Like if we were to redo this, I mean, we'd still do politics because that's what I find most interesting and I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. But it's the more, the more uh, niche that you are in your topic, oftentimes the larger audience you can draw in. Yeah. So think about that, Brian. Yeah, but like I was saying, and Patreon helps people do that, but Brian is an example of someone who continues to put himself out there and it's very inspiring, right? When people find something that they're interested in and they go after it. Um, And like he said, he works a regular job still, right? Sure, yeah. Um, And a lot of people do that too, right? They have these creative interests outside of their uh, their regular job, their daily routine, and it's so important to them. It gives them so much fulfillment that they continue doing it, even if they feel tired. Yeah, no <laughs> and shit. So I related to it just because it's similar to the podcast, where I feel very passionate about what we do here. And it's something that I do outside of my regular job. Um, And I just appreciate that there are tools out there that have helped us create a community and have helped us build this show. And and there's no secret sauce here. The secret sauce is go fucking do it. You know, if you want to write, there's no better time than right now. Mm -hmm. Your schedule's not going to get easier. It's not going to get more convenient to do that. If you want to start a podcast, start the goddamn podcast. There you go. If you want to write a horror book, 
write yeah. your horror book. Because if you wait a year until it's quote unquote convenient, think about all of the shit you could have done if you started right now. In a year, you'll be just that more uh, experienced, just that more um skilled mm-hmm. at whatever it is that you choose to do. Anyway, I... All right, Eckert Toll, we get I it. I didn't want this to turn into some kind of a motivational fucking <laughs> Tony Robbins hour. But anyway, we love you guys. We appreciate you. We hope you enjoyed this. If you like what we do and you appreciate what we do, we would invite you to join the Patreon family. Go to dollamore.com slash Patreon. For as little as like $2 a month, you can help us move the conversation forward, have conversations like this, put out the content that we do relative to politics and news and comment. We appreciate and love the community that has built up around this show. And uh, it is, um, I believe, important and special. So we'll see you next time. We love you guys. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt.